It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the bridge of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 826 of Locked on Raptors for Monday, November the 16th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Also, please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Locked on Podcast Network over at whatever podcast platform you use. It could be Spotify, Apple, Google Play, whatever it might be. Please subscribe to, rate, and review leave ratings it's uh always very helpful when you do the ratings makes us feel very very good about ourselves when you leave the nice five star ones as well all right on today's show we are uh, a little bit later in the day first of all than i would like my power was out for like 20 hours and so the scheduled afternoon podcast recording i had got bumped back unfortunately but that allowed some things to transpire during the day that we can talk about now and, you know, the different ways they pertain to the Toronto Raptors. A little bit of housekeeping news with the Raptors. Stanley Johnson, we'll get to him. Uh, he's opting into his contract. There's not much to get to, but we will get to that. There's also a report that came out from Michael Grange. Uh, not so much a report, just sort of a, I think, update on kind of where things stand with Fred Van Vliet. That came out on Sportsnet's website yesterday, so we'll go through that and sort of look at the way the landscape is shaping up for Fred Van Vliet. A couple moves today that we'll talk about as well that I think kind of inform the Fred Van Vliet for agency market. Uh, the Detroit Pistons making a move. We'll get to that. The, obviously, the Phoenix Suns making a deal for Chris Paul. We'll get to that as well. And also why I think the Oklahoma City Thunder are cowards. And they had an opportunity to be kind of like the Raptors West and kind of toe the line between being good and also developing and instead decided to cash out 
be terrible, go to the tank, and uh, I'm going to get to that. I think it's stupid. I'm upset with what the Thunder have done here, but in a roundabout way, it kind of helps the Raptors. So we'll get to that in part two of the show. And we'll also wrap up with some talk about James Harden. Not very much in the way of Raptors interest here. I mean, the Raptors aren't going to trade for James Harden right now. We'll get into why, but we will talk about the potential of him coming to the Eastern Conference and what that could do for the landscape of the East. So we'll get to that shortly as well. But first, let's get into the news of the day. Stanley Johnson, baby, opting in. 3.8 million bucks. He's back for his second year with the Raptors. Not exactly a surprise. It would have been pretty shocked if Stanley Johnson turned down 3.8 million bucks after the way he played last season and the way he's played basically his entire NBA career. But the official word came down today that he's opted in. Uh, the deadline for a couple other guarantees for the Raptors contracts, in particular Terrence Davis, as well as I believe Dewan Hernandez, come up on Thursday. Um, we'll get to the Terrence Davis thing, I guess, on Thursday, if and when they decide to let his contract just go away or if they decide to guarantee it. I don't know what the hell's going to happen there, but we'll get to that shortly uh, this week at some point because that will be a thing to get to on Thursday. But for now, it's just Stanley Johnson opting into his contract. I don't see him carving out much more of a role next season. You know, it just... Doesn't seem to be there. Maybe the fact that Ronda Hellish Jefferson seems to be on his way out. Maybe that opens up some minutes at the four, the five, or the three, the four for uh, for Stanley Johnson. I just don't really see it though. He's bad at basketball, man. His offense is always going to be very, very bad. I don't see that being improved in any way, uh, especially if there's no G League for him to voluntarily go down to this year. And I just he does not seem like someone who is long for big minutes. If you want to play Stanley Johnson in garbage time of meaningless games at the end of the season for him to score 20 points. Great. Do it all you want. Totally fine with that. But for the most part, I am very okay with Stanley Johnson occupying 14th man duty again this season. He just doesn't really bring very much. He might, however, bring some cap ballast to throw another way if the Raptors are going to make a trade. That's helpful to have that 3.8 million bucks for something, whether it's before the season, whether it's at the deadline. That's always a handy thing to have on hand. Um, you know, it's not quite a medium-sized salary. It's not going to get you a ton, but it is something. And if you pair it with, say, a Patrick McCaw, for example, and you can throw in a couple picks, whatever it might be, maybe you are looking at something similar down the line to what the Raptors did in 2017, where they traded, uh, you know, Jared Sullinger, who was not much of an NBA player at that point, in a couple seconds, and got PJ Tucker for a rental run, and. You know, you're not going to get someone with a lot of years of control or anything like that. Nobody game-breaking. But if you can package together the salaries of McCaw, Stanley Johnson, and a couple picks, maybe a first-rounder down the line, that could be a decent little move you could make at the deadline when teams are looking to just get bodies on board and probably buy them out. So that's pretty much what Stanley Johnson's utility will be this year. I would imagine Stanley Johnson will serve more purpose for the Raptors as a uh, salary-matching device in trades than he will in any way, shape, or form on the court, barring some terrible, terrible injury luck, in which case things are probably going very, very badly. It doesn't really matter anyway if Stanley Johnson's playing because it, it's all lost cause no matter what. So that's Stanley Johnson. Um, the other news from today... Again, not again. It's not terribly you know newsy necessarily. It's just kind of a an up to date status look at up to date status look. It's a look at the status of Fred VanVleet and the market uh, and sort of where he sits uh, as it pertains to the Raptors and his free agency coming up. Michael Grange wrote about this at Sportsnet.ca on uh, Sunday and just kind of ran through the big sort of pull quote from the piece is a note that he spoke with a. Uh, an executive around the Eastern Conference that said they, quote, wouldn't be completely surprised if a team put something close to a max contract, $117.3 million over four years, on the table for Fred VanVleet. 
there's a lot to digest with that. Um, you know, that would come out to just under 30 million bucks a year for Fred Van Vliet. Um, I believe 29.5 is the exact math on that. That's a lot for Fred Van Vliet. We've been talking about Fred in sort of the high teens, low 20s, maybe the mid 20s, pretty much all season long outside of a couple stretches where he looked like he might flirt with like 27 a year. I don't think the way he played in the postseason and just sort of his profile as a player combined with the differing sort of you know methodologies and agendas that all these teams have I don't see a near max contract for Fred Van Vliet being it for any of these teams you know as much as I think Fred is a good player who you want to have on your team if you're using that much money to sign him I think it's 25% of the cap that seems a little bit irresponsible frankly if you are a general manager it just just, you there are better ways to devote your money to a point guard who is never going to be your best player or even your second best player necessarily I think Fred Van Vliet tops out as the third best player on a very very good team and might even be fourth but that doesn't mean you don't pay him if you're the Raptors because he can be a part of a team that you sort of envision for a post-2021 world and he fits very nicely on that and you have the flexibility to do so but some of these other teams that don't have even like ones or twos in place, that seems like a very, very misguided allocation of resources if you're going to give a max contract to Fred Van Vliet. And you know, we've talked about the teams that are kind of involved in this. Detroit has a lot of cap space. The Hawks have a lot of cap space. The Knicks have a lot of cap space. We thought the Suns would have a lot of cap space. We'll get to the Suns in the second segment. That's not to, to be worried about anymore. But it just seems like all these teams are going to want to do more than just sign Fred Van Vliet. They have other fish in the fryer as well, and they want to probably you know, get a couple good players out of that money as opposed to devoting a ton of it just to one point guard who, again, is never going to be a traditional number one point guard who can orchestrate your offense every single time down the floor. As was quoted in the piece with Michael Grange, you know, the other side of the aisle, the sort of skeptic side of Fred Van Vliet evaluators look at his inability to kind of run an offense by himself and his sort of, you know, benefit of playing next to Kyle Lowry as everybody gets better playing next to Kyle Lowry and looks better than they are next to Kyle Lowry. As this executive who was quoted in the piece said to Michael Grange, that's very true. And I think most teams, you know, if you have a smart person at the helm will realize not every team has a Kyle Lowry to sort of make things easier for everybody else on the floor and you know maybe Travis Schlenk of the Hawks thinks Trey Young can be that Kyle Lowry type I don't think it's easy to just say oh yeah we have a Kyle Lowry type on hand because there are very few Kyle Lowry types he's one of a kind frankly and there are very few players who have improved the players around him as much as Kyle Lowry has over the last 10 years so I don't think that is So it's certainly a thing that I think is well taken, a point that's well taken from this executive that there is that sort of downside to Fred that you can't totally put all your eggs into the basket of him being this, you know, transcendent team running number one or number two because there's a lot of reasons to suggest that he's been helped by the people he's played with in a very good team, that it has put him in the best position to succeed. And if you're the Knicks or the Hawks, can you actually kind of replicate that? Even Fred Van Lee himself said last week, replicating what the Raptors do and the system they've set up where everybody thrives within it, that's not easy to do. It's, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of time. And none of these teams, I think, have really shown that they are in that sort of realm of franchise right now, the same as the Raptors are. So... That is the latest on Fred. Another quick note that I think makes Raptors fans probably feel a little bit better about where Fred's at and what the future of Fred is with the team. 
uh, is the Detroit Pistons made a deal today that very much signals they are not in the business of actually trying to win. Uh, they traded Bruce Brown, who, look, he's fine. He's not, like, amazing or anything, but he is one of the better players on a very, very bereft Pistons roster. They traded Bruce Brown to the new uh, Brooklyn Nets for Zan and Musa and a second-round pick. Zan and Musa sucks. <laughs> he's very, very bad at basketball. Uh, there was a highlight video, I believe, posted by a Nets fan today of Musa uh, bricking threes, doing very little of anything on the floor. Raptors fans saw him a bit in the playoffs. He stinks. He's just, he's not good at basketball. He's not an NBA player, has not shown he's an NBA player at any time, um, and really has, I think, made Raptors fans not fret over losing that pick that became Zan and Musa to the Nets in the Damari Carroll trade when they offloaded that salary. Um, you know, kind of a missed opportunity. This is not one of those, man, I wish we had that pick to draft that guy situations because Musa, again, very, very bad at basketball and signals that the Pistons don't really care. They're getting a guy who is, I believe, further away from getting a contract than Bruce Brown is, a guy who is much less good at driving winning basketball than Bruce Brown is. They get an extra little asset in a second-round pick, which probably isn't going to be very good because it's the Raptors pick from the Damari Carroll trade, I believe. <laughs> and so it's just you're not getting anything useful out of that. And, you know, what what is that deal for? I don't know who or what that deal is for other than to just sort of clear the decks and, you know, maybe open up some room for Sekou Dumboya. Maybe they're hoping to draft a wing in the draft. I don't know what it is, but Bruce Brown's no longer with the Pistons, and that would suggest to me that they care very little about winning this year. They did not bring in someone who will help them win whatsoever, and I kind of think that suggests they might not be into spending that money on Fred VanVleet as they try to panic and make an eight seed. They might actually be doing a real rebuild here with kind of a silly first step in getting rid of Brown. I mean, if you're going to rebuild, I hope they're also going to get rid of Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose and all these other guys they have on their team that mildly raise their floor while also making them at most an eight seed in the East. Uh, I hope they have that in mind. I don't know if they do, but I would assume that that's probably the plan here for Troy Weaver as he tries to put his own imprint on the team. Obviously, a new GM will have a lot of leeway, a lot of runway to you know build and rebuild or t tear down whatever it's going to be. Doesn't seem to me like they're gearing up to make a big play for Fred VanVleet right now. So, you know, we talked last week with Lazarus Jackson how the Pistons were not maybe necessarily the biggest threat. I think that has been confirmed by their little move today. Uh, so we will keep an eye on that. All right, we're going to continue on in just a second. We're going to dive into the Chris Paul situation and the trade that went down today, sending him to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for a bunch of stuff. Uh, First-round pick because Sam Presti loves himself some first-round picks. Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, all that stuff. We will get into that deal and how that affects the Fred VanVleet situation as well as how I think the Thunder are stupid and how they're cowards and how they could have had it all. They could have had their cake and it, eaten it too and decided, no, we'll just have cake and we'll not. We'll just look at it we won't eat it whatsoever we'll maybe eat it you know three four years down the road but we'll get to that in a sec first let me tell you about built bar which is the best tasting protein bar you're ever going to try they're so good i told you about them a bunch of times but i will say it again built bars are for a person who does not necessarily like protein bars very much they really are great and they make me like protein bars very much. They have six new flavors right now, joining their original lineup of 12 flavors. Some of the new flavors include carrot cake, apple almond crisp, lemon almond cheesecake, cherry barcia, and they join the 12 original flavors, which features the granddaddy of them all. Toffee almond, baby, the best flavor they have on hand in my humble estimation. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew as well and they're great for the health conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and they're great for keto diets as well. 
Uh, some of the flavors you can get include peanut butter, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs, while the brand new cookies and cream flavor, just 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. It's a really, really good trade-off of flavor to not being bad for you, which, uh, you know, you're going to want to, you, chocolate bars are nice, you can have a Mars bar, or you can have a Built Bar, which is actually, like, good for you and and gives you a reason to like work out later in the day or whatever it might be mars bar just makes you want to take a nap so go for a built bar instead and right now when you go to builtbar.com you're gonna get a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last just go to builtbar.com use the promo code locked on and you're gonna get 20 percent off your next order that's the promo code locked on for 20 percent off at builtbar.com this is jake from locked on locked on has teamed up with state farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in nba history After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so before we get into the Chris Paul for a bunch of stuff trade between the Suns and the Thunder, a reminder to make sure you're checking out the Locked On NBA Mock Draft. The final day of it is on Tuesday. I'm involved in the final day of the Locked On NBA Mock Draft as I draft 29th overall for your Toronto Raptors. Uh, it's really, really great. We've got insights from Chad Ford, John Hollinger, Jeremy Wu, the whole crew. It's a really, really well put together production. So go and listen to all five days of the Locked On NBA Mock Draft over on Locked On NBA on your favorite podcast provider. All right, let's get in now to the Chris Paul deal. Chris Paul goes to the Phoenix Suns for Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, a 2022 first rounder that's got some protections on it. I think top 12, then top 10, then top 8 over 2022, 2023, and 2024. And then Ty Jerome and Jalen Leck. I've never heard of Jalen Leck before. Apparently, some people think he can dunk nice and is maybe a little bit of a flyer for the Thunder to work on. I'm not surprised that people are giving the Thunder the benefit of the doubt on a trade because, boy, the Thunder are just the darlings of everybody. We'll get into why I think that is dumb in just a sec. But the Chris Paul deal is pertinent to Toronto Raptors fans' interests. Of course, we talked last week with Brendan Clean of Locked On Suns about how Phoenix was potentially a Fred Van Vliet destination. They had the potential money to finagle around and get enough cap space open to throw a pretty competitive offer Fred Van Vliet's way. We talked about how the fit between Fred Van Vliet and Devin Booker would be outstanding in the backcourt and how Brendan thought it was a 6 out of 10 that Raptors fans should fear the Suns. I thought that the Suns were the biggest contender. I thought they were the team that scared me the most that could offer a mix of competitiveness and competitive money that might draw Fred away. I no longer think that is the case because they don't have the money now. They have Chris Paul, who makes a lot of money on their team, but he also makes them very, very good, and I think it's awesome. I think the Suns are going to be great, and I think Chris Paul, Devin Booker, if you thought... 
that Devin Booker and Fred VanVleet would be a great backcourt. Holy shit, throw Chris Paul in there, and it's that much better. The Suns are going to be awesome. They are going to be a darling team to watch this year, right up there with my booze, the Pelicans, and the Memphis Grizzlies, although I think the Suns actually have a, stand- a chance to be really damn good in the Western Conference, maybe like second round Western Conference Finals, maybe? I don't know, like kind of maybe in the tier of Denver. Maybe that's crazy, but I don't think it is. I think they're really damn good, and I think now that they have a real point guard and some very interesting lineups they can throw out there and still a bit of money to throw at a potential forward addition, that could be a very good team. And they will be a good team without signing Fred Van Vliet. They are effectively out of the running now for Van Vliet. Unless they're really going to load up on guards and use their cap space on Fred, that seems kind of like a misusage of that money when they could fill out their forward depth a little bit better. And so, yeah, I don't think Raptors fans need to worry about the Suns anymore. And the Suns were the team that I was the most afraid of. So that is good news in the Fred Van Vliet department. And I'm happy for the Suns because it's nice when teams are good, which apparently the Oklahoma City Thunder disagree with. I think the Thunder have made a pretty bad mistake here. I think it's, uh, you know, Sam Presti's getting a lot of love today. Our friend Rylan Stiles over on Locked on Thunder called him the best GM in the NBA today. Uh, respectfully to Rylan, who's wonderful. Uh, I think Masai Ujiri would have a couple words to say about that, as well as a couple other executives around the league. I'm not here to denigrate Sam Presti, but I kind of am because this deal to me, is just like ultimate coward shit, frankly, for the Oklahoma City Thunder. This was a team that last year was incredibly fun, was very good, was a fingertip away, quite literally, from maybe knocking off the Houston Rockets in the first round of the playoffs. And look, they probably would have lost in round two to the Lakers, but the Lakers were not some impenetrable monster of a team necessarily. They ended up winning the title, obviously, but I don't think this was like one of the better champions we've ever seen. This was a flawed team that had areas to exploit and had things gone a little bit differently in that Houston series, had Russell Westbrook been healthy, had, you know, they, you know, flipped the script in one of the two of those games. That's not uh, a wash of a series, man. I I think the Rockets, you know, had they not kind of let everybody down, had the goods to actually give the Lakers some trouble. The Thunder maybe a little bit less so, but I still think that would have been a very annoying series that probably goes like six games. But there's still no shame in losing in round two. There's no shame in being a good team that makes it into the playoffs every year and has meaningful series and establishes memories for your fan base. And that is what the Oklahoma City Thunder just gave up. The Thunder had Chris Paul, who's very good and drives winning in a way that, you know, very few guards do. Like him and Kyle Lowry are basically it when it comes to guys who sort of single-handedly drive winning. Damian Lillard's there too, same as Steph Curry, obviously. But I kind of put Paul and Lowry in their own little tier because they do it on both ends of the floor so well. And they just kind of manage the game and have their finger on the pulse of the game in a way that very few other players do. And they just drive winning. Their teams win games, man. And it's not a surprise last year that the Thunder won as many games as they did because Chris Paul just wins freaking games. And the Thunder were in this position where they could have the best of both worlds. What the Raptors did, where they could have been good, respectable, making the playoffs, getting playoff reps for guys like Shea Gildas-Alexander and Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, Terrence Ferguson, whoever getting run in postseasons for those guys, playing next to a basketball savant in Chris Paul, and actually sort of giving their fans and giving the people who care about the Thunder, who just want to watch the Thunder on a random Wednesday night, a reason to tune in. They were exceptionally fun and cool. And they also happened to have, in, in conjunction with that, the picks of a third of the teams in the league for the next 
however long, t- six years. Like they have picks out the ass until 2027. Like, it's absurd. And they're set up better than just about anybody else. They go and make this deal for Chris Paul and they get a first round pick. Wonderful. Great. That first round pick is not going to be very good. The Suns figured it'd be quite good this year or next year, whatever it's going to be. They're going to have Chris Paul for at least two more years. They figured it'd be quite good. It's not going to, and it's top 12 protected. So it's not going to be some amazing pick. It's going to be right in the middle where you love to pick in the first round. You, you always love to pick 17th, baby. That's where you want to be. You also get that pick from the Lakers and the Dennis Schroeder trade, which is going to be a not very good pick. The thing about the Thunder is that they could have still gone forward with all of these draft picks, all this draft capital that people love so much, and use that at some point to strike big and really kind of lean in. You you see down the line, oh, hey, the Rockets are on their way to being very bad. We have their picks until kingdom come. We have the Clippers picks. We don't know how that's going to transpire over there, but we got their picks. You know, you have these valuable sort of ethereal assets, so you don't know what the actual value is, but people love that stuff in trades, and they could have at some point did the Raptors thing and, you know, struck while the iron was hot and brought in a star to a ready-made team full of guys ready to play with a star. You could have had Shea Gildas-Alexander, Lou Dort, and also Chris Paul on the roster with a lot of sort of reps with each other. Maybe it's only first and second round exits. That's fine. You can go to the second round and still be an acceptable team. Only one team wins a title. If you make the second round, even go deep in the first round and play seven games, like that is valuable. That has tangible value to the players in your, in your roster, in your lineup, to your fans, whatever it might be. And the Thunder just threw that away. The Thunder are now going all in on the idea of tanking for a star. And look, this might work out for the Thunder. They might end up with Cade Cunningham in next year's draft. They might end up with somebody very good. It's going to be easy for them to tank to the bottom of the West because every team in the West seems to think they're good. That's probably part of the calculus here. Great. Guess what? Not everybody wins the lottery. The lottery is a crapshoot, and your odds of losing it are far greater than your odds of winning it, even if you are the worst team in basketball. And... Frankly, I hope that the Thunder had this backfire. How many times have we seen teams tank just hoping and hoping that something comes along to change their fortunes? It very rarely happens. Even the Sixers, like the Sixers are in this weird limbo right now where they tanked and got two first overall picks or two very high picks in Embiid and Simmons. Embiid should have been the first overall pick his year. And they've turned it into nothing. They've turned it into second round and out. They've turned it into internal chaos and roster reconstructions every six months. And it's led nowhere. There is no guarantee ever in anything. You can ride the middle all all you want to. And you might not end up anywhere. You might not end up making the move that puts you over the top. But you can also tank a bunch and also just make your product unwatchable and make it not fun for the six months of the season that people tune in in the regular season to actually be entertained during the year. You can make your team a real drag and become the Magic or the Kings where you just strike out every single year. Even when you get high picks, you can end up with Marvin Bagley. And I kind of think that's what the Thunder are at risk of doing now. Look, they, again, they could get the first overall pick next year and it'll all be fine and whatever. They'll move forward. They'll have Shea Gildas Alexander to pair with Cade Cunningham. Great. Have fun. But they could also not get the first overall pick. They could get the fourth or fifth overall pick. And yes, next year's draft is supposed to be deep, but they also have a million other picks in that draft. So, like, what? how many more picks do you actually need? It's just kind of like this, this fetishization of draft picks that has gotten all this love for Presti and the Thunder when they had a really good team. They had the dream, like a good team where you can maintain being good and also developing the way the Raptors did before getting Kawhi and figure to continue to do now until they get their next opportunity at a star. It's just, that's to me the way I would want to build a team. 
And maybe that's all colored by my bias of being a Raptors fan and seeing how this team has operated over the last seven years. But I do think it's a very noble and worthy thing to try to pursue to be good while also developing for the future. And the Thunder literally had it on a platter. They could have done that so easily. Been good, been respectable, you know, had a really fun time with Chris Paul, who was just an absolute stud, and maybe even, I don't know, made a deal to try to go all in this year or something like that. Make a big move for one of these available stars and then actually put it to work and go and play actual, like, meaningful basketball late into the playoffs. Instead, they've resigned themselves to tanking, and I think that kind of sucks. I think it's loser shit. I think it's cowardly. And I think uh, the Sam Presti love is a little bit intense right now for a guy who is just bathing in draft picks of which he will be able to use about half. So so that's how I feel about the Thunder. Very you know lukewarm, soft opinions overall. Uh, we'll get to more on the podcast in just a second. We're going to dive into the James Harden rumors and how that might affect the Raptors in just one sec. But first, a reminder to go and check out Locked on Thunder and Locked on Suns uh, with our friends Ryland Styles and Brendan Clean today to get the lowdown on the Thunder Suns trade for Chris Paul. It'll be really good. Uh, I think one side, I, b- both sides of that, <clears throat> both guys seem to be quite happy with the deal. So that's lovely. And go listen to those podcasts to get the local expert opinion on what those deals mean, what that deal means for each of those teams. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's get to James Harden and the rumors flying around about him uh a lot of rumors flying around about james harden right now i don't really know how it's a process at all i think the rockets don't need to rush into anything here necessarily i mean they are good they could still go back and be a contender again this season if things fall into place you know russell westbrook wants out it seems like the market for him is pretty cool you're not forced to make a trade or anything you have both of these guys under contract for at least two more years three in the case of westbrook there's no need to rush into anything here but it seems like they might have their sort of hand forced just by Harden wanting out and the sort of transaction industrial complex making it into a thing that seems like it's got some wheels. And it seems like the Nets and the Sixers are the two teams that Harden is angling to get to. If you're asking me, like, there's no reason to even consider the Nets offer if the Sixers are involved because the Sixers trade would almost certainly have to involve Ben Simmons. And if that's the case... You do it if you're the Rockets. Like, that's the guy you should be trying for because Ben Simmons is very, very good. And if you put him in a situation where he's got shooters all around, he's got Daniel House and P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington around him to fire passes to, I mean, that could be a respectable team. We know it works with Covington. (laughs) You know, he's had some runs, Ben Simmons has, where he's been the sort of sole alpha dog on that Sixers team. When Embiid's been out, Covington was party to one of those. And it's been very good. Simmons is great. You know, obviously he doesn't shoot, but that's fine. You don't always need to shoot. He's got lots of other opportunities to make an impact on the game on every single possession because he's good at just about everything else. And so that's the guy you should be trying for if you're the Rockets. You should be getting as much as you possibly can if you're trading your transcendent superstar that's been an MVP candidate for the last, like, seven years. You should be doing that. 
but the Nets are there for some reason in this conversation. And look, I am admittedly lower on the Nets guys than a lot of people. I think it's a combination of a lot of those Nets guys being very like internet favorite type guys, which I often find the hype tends to go way over the top on those types of dudes. Um, I also, but there's certainly some, you know, fuck Brooklyn bias baked into this take as well, but I don't think Karis Levert is as good as people suggest he is. He, to me, is the kind of player who will very nobly lead a team to 36 wins at the most in his best season if he's the number one player on a team or the number two. He's fine. He doesn't do it for me as like a transcendent type of offensive threat. He kind of reminds me of DeMar DeRozan, honestly, with some better defense, but kind of like DeMar, where it's like he's very, very good. He's good enough to run an offense on his own, I guess, but it's never going to be a top five or ten offense. It's always going to be kind of middling. And he's never going to be the sort of guy who's good enough to, you know, carry to 55 wins or anything like that. He's very much in the middle. He's kind of a ceiling imposer. That's kind of how I view Levert. And then Spencer Dinwiddie's fine. Like, he's a good six-man type wing, like, or, like, combo guard or, like, microwave scorer. I don't think he's any great shakes. I don't think you're throwing him the keys to your team and saying, all right, all right, go, Spencer Dinwiddie, go and do, you know, lead guard things and expecting anything special. I think he's fine. I think there's a reason the Nets won 30-something games with Levert and Dinwiddie being their best players. They're fine. You got Jared Allen, who's a good good player, I guess. The Rockets have a center aversion, so I don't know if they'd even be interested in that. And then their picks aren't going to be good because they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on their team. They're not going to be good picks. I just, it to me feels like a trade that makes sense because of quantity but not really quality whereas if you could make something happen with the Sixers where you involve Ben Simmons and like Josh Richardson or something I, I just think a that's the better deal for the Rockets and also that's the deal I want to see because I think that Sixers team would be amazing like I, I think whatever team gets Harden in the Eastern Conference will become the best team in the Eastern Conference I think people overthink it with Harden a little bit there's a lot of discussion online today with the Raptors and Harden, which is not going to happen. The Raptors don't really have a package to throw the way of the Rockets unless there's some sort of elaborate sign-in trade involving Fred Van Vliet, which I just that offer is never going to live up to something that involves a Ben Simmons, for example. And so, I, you know, I think people have overthought it. I think, yes, if the Raptors got James Harden, that'd be amazing. He would fit. Like, don't overthink it. Yes, he can be a drag to watch, but he makes you instantly better. He's a one-man offense. He changes the way... The, team, the other team has to guard the entire five-man lineup that's on the floor that he's playing with. He's incredible, and there's a reason he's been up for MVP as many times as he has. He's really, really damn good. You don't have to overthink it. The same applies to any of these teams that would pick him up. Yes, there's fit issues with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Yes, all those guys want the ball, but also those guys are ridiculous. And as Tom Ziller pointed out today in his Substack article, you know, when you have that much talent, that is going to be an offense that no defense can handle. There's just nothing you can do about it. There's no counter to uh, James Harden, Kevin Durant pick and roll with Kyrie Irving like running baseline and cutting. Like there's just you can't do anything about that. It would be an amazing, amazing offensive team. But they might have defensive issues, but they'll probably score 140 points a game, and your defensive issues become a lot less concerning at that point. And when it comes to the Sixers, I mean, if you could pair James Harden with Joel Embiid, I know. Both of those guys kind of have a reputation that precedes them. But, like, James Harden was on a team that was as close to any as unseating the healthy Warriors. The Raptors beat them, obviously. They weren't healthy. I think that's totally fair. You can argue whether the Raptors would have won if Durant was healthy. Who knows? The Raptors are very good. The Warriors are the greatest team ever assembled. So, you know, take that how you will. That 
same very healthy and greatest team ever assembled Warriors team almost lost to the Rockets because James Harden is as good as he is. And Chris Paul, frankly, is as good as he is. And they never should have made that trade, Houston. That's besides the point. Stop trading Chris Paul is my point, actually. Keep him. He's really, really good. Um, but... I, like, if you put Harden with Embiid, regardless of what their reputations are, I don't think their reputations are well-earned. I mean, Embiid, yes, he's, you know, up and down attitude-wise, whatever. That dude had the shits the entire series against the Raptors in 2019 and still was the best player on the floor for most of that series, despite putting up not very good counting stats. His on-court, you know, wind-driving ability was better than anybody else in that series. It was absurd what he was doing while not being very good at all, you know, sort of to the eye test. Embiid's great. And if you paired him and Harden together, that would be basically unguardable. You would actually be able to run a pick and roll where the guard has a shooting threat to manage. If you're the defense, Embiid could roll, do his thing. Kicking out, you know, Embiid kicking out to a guy like Harden. I mean, the the havoc you could cause there if you have other shooters on the floor. I mean, it just would work, man. And I think having a guy like Embiid being your rim protector kind of, Standing back as your last line of defense kind of makes up for James Harden being a bit of a turnstile defensively as well. So do it if you're Philly. Do it if you're the Nets. Get James Harden on your team. If you're the Raptors and you can do it, freaking do it. Throw any offer you can. He's really good, and he would make any team in the East the best team in the East. I feel pretty confident in that. So, you know, I hope this doesn't happen. I want him to stay in the West is basically moral of the story here. I think James Harden in the Eastern Conference would be a problem for the Raptors. I don't want that. I want the Raptors as easy a time in the Eastern Conference as possible. That's not happening if James Harden is on the Sixers or the Nets or some other team in the East. So let's see the absolute disaster that Houston situation can devolve into with Fertitta and Harden and Westbrook all still there butting heads. It'd be beautiful. I, I want to see it. And I, I want to see the Raptors uh, far as, well, as far away as possible from a James Harden led team. So uh, yeah, that's where I'll leave it for today. We will continue on obviously keeping tabs on this week and all there is to be expected from the draft and Friday and free agency and all that stuff all week. Yasmin, our pal from uh, Dishes and Dimes and the Neon Playbook and Yahoo and basically everywhere because Yasmin's taking over the world, is going to be on the podcast on Tuesday, so keep an eye out for that. We're going to take a look at the draft. We're going to continue to talk about all the free agency scuttlebutt. I'm sure there'll be plenty of reports by the time we record tomorrow afternoon for us to dive into. And uh, yeah, that'll be uh, Tuesday. We'll obviously do the the draft stuff on Wednesday, a late night uh, recap podcast most likely there. And we will keep you covered. This is going to be a crazy week, and I'm very happy you're along with me here on Locked on Raptors. Uh, with that, we'll wrap it there. Find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Subscribe to your rate review. This podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, it's very much appreciated when you go ahead and do that. And uh, make sure, again, you're checking out the Locked on NBA mock draft special that's going on. Day five of five going on on Tuesday. You can listen to the entire thing back to back to back to back to back. Why wouldn't you do that? It's just good listening sense to me it's just efficient podcast consumption uh all right i'm gonna stop talking because my voice is gonna fall apart have a good night everybody we'll talk to you again on tuesday with another episode of locked on raptors hey prime members you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.